Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Clint Lagerberg came out to Disgraceland to spend the afternoon swapping lies and playing guitars and talking about Bigfoot. He's from the Great White Northeast. He's a killer guitar player, a great songwriter, a fantastic producer. And in this day of uncertainty, there's one thing I'm certain of. Clint's my buddy. He's my friend. So here's Clint Lagerberg. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Thinking and Drinking Sofa. Clint Lagerberg. Hi, buddy. Hi, Bart. How are you? Good. Dude, I have just been uh, sitting here being envious of your guitars, the way you play them. Oh, Bart. <laughs> oh, you just... Are you going to keep going? <laughs> Could you keep going? <laughs> no, I was going to say, I'm also uh, envious oh. of your hammered dulcimer, but that's a totally different subject. Yeah. Oh, hey. Bart, where's the drinking part of this thinking... Part. It's 11 in the morning. I mean, yeah, what that's you, true. What, now we can, got we, some water there. You got some water. I got some tea. vodka. Yeah, we okay. can do that. Yes. Okay. So how are you, man? How is uh, how's COVID treating you? COVID is... And thank you so much for coming out here, oh, man. Bart, I wish I could have done this a long time ago. Um, it's been too long, for one. Indeed. We haven't seen each other in the flesh. I know, man. A long time. I want to say... Brentwood might have been, and that was, gosh, what? No, you had another house out in... Brentwood Station. Yes. Oh, that's right. Okay, so yeah, three years. And you had the big garage studio that was awesome. Okay, that was, yeah, that was about four years. Man. But still way too long. so dumb. Should really just be four days at a time we don't see each other. Used to just hang out all the time. Should be shotguns and guitars. I know. Oh, dude. Remember that song? (laughs) <laughs> Let's not say the title. <laughs> Don't oh. steal it. <laughs> uh, but COVID, uh, it's just been a barrel of fun, uh, like everybody's, you know, going through <laughs> it. Uh, but we did have a little bit of a unfair advantage. Our kids are homeschooled. Yeah. The two boys, the youngest, have been homeschooled since school started for them. Right. The daughter had two years of... Um, public school, but it, so you know, going into that phase of everything, we really didn't have to. Yeah. Um, but still, it still had its uh, trickiness. With they, they had regular co-ops they'd go to, and you know, to get their social mm. skills sharpened and hang around kids and all that stuff, and uh, <laughs> that kind of you know went away for a bit, and the Zoom thing and all that. But and then Zoom. For writing was, you know, a challenge, as yeah. it's been for a lot of people. But, yeah, it's crazy. I th- Man, when Zoom goes wrong, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Even when it goes right, it sucks. I'm yeah. sorry, everybody. I'm, yeah. No yeah. Matter, it's, matter. yeah, the vibe is tricky. Um, but if that's all you got, it's fine. Yeah, it yeah. works. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It definitely um, beats not being able to do anything. So where were you born? I was born in a hospital on a bed, I'm assuming. <laughs> da, 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 da. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> I was born in Rochester, New Hampshire. Uh, and I won't tell you the year. You were zero years old. <laughs> I was zero years old. Born in Rochester, New Hampshire at Frisbee Memorial Hospital. Um, I'm the youngest of five boys. Dr. Whammo? <laughs> Frisbee Hospital? Oh, yes. Dr. Whammo. <laughs> Dr. Whammo just... Dr. Whammo. Just flew right out. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, he came right back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, grew up uh, in New Hampshire for the... Until the fifth grade, I stayed back in the fifth grade, and then um, second year of fifth grade, moved to Maine. And then I was there until I till May of 2000. Dang. I moved to Philly to pursue my Philly, who I'm married to for <laughs> now almost uh, 19, well, 19 years. What? Yeah. Gosh. Crazy, dude. Time can really run like a bastard. <laughs> I mean, really. He's got some new sneakers lately. He's running quick. So, I mean, you're you are the epitome of singer, songwriter, guitar player, engineer, producer. Looks. Oh, there. Hand model. Oh, you're getting there. Yeah. I was going hand mm-hmm. model. Um, so, is there anybody else in your family that that has? Not just a, a, a degree of interest in music, but to your degree of music? Um, my pops, he uh, that's the reason I play. is because there was always mm. guitar in the house. He played in a country cover band called The Accidents at the VFW uh, in Elks Lodges and various places like that in New England um, in the late 60s, 70s. And so all that gear was in the house. And, you know, watching Hee Haw and listening to Chet Atkins records and eight tracks. And that was, so it was always there. And dad's more of a, um, chords and some picking, you know, okay. give, give him some tape echo and he's, you know, yeah, yeah. Feels a little more confident, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, was always there. So was he cool about just, there's my guitars, take whatever you want? Yeah. Actually, when I was little, little, um, I got the biggest electrical shock from his guitar. Nice. It was a Microfrets Huntington <clears throat> plugged into a 64 Vibrolux. Oh, man. And it was on, but something grounding-wise uh, was wasn't, off. Was off. <laughs> and I came up and touched it and must have been, I don't know what the scenario was, but I touched it and got a terrible shock. Right. So I was scared of guitar for the longest time. So... I avoided it. Um, and then, yeah, it was uh, the summer going into the eighth grade. Um, he saw that I was interested again. But, yeah, I could play the guitar up to that point. But most of the time it was just pretending to play guitar, which um, is how it all started. I will tell you a quick story. Um, so Halloween night, we had just moved uh, to... Maine from New Hampshire, second year of fifth grade. I really shouldn't have stayed back. Miss Callahan, who I think is no longer with us, she was terrible to me. I was like the poor kid, and she just only liked the jocks, and she treated me terrible. I had to sit under her desk one time because I was talking in class. It was so embarrassing. This is, wait, Bart's like, this isn't a therapy session. Anyway. Would you like to lay down on that couch? Yes. Because you can. 
So um, anyway, Halloween, <laughs> we lived on a long gravel road, so trick-or-treating on our street wasn't really a thing, and up there it was really cold. So we would go to like a mall or something or some you know, trailer yeah. park close by. The, the houses were close enough we could walk around. And uh, Brother Raymond is getting ready. Uh, we're going to go trick-or-treating. I already have all my stuff on, my whatever I was, a vampire or something. And while I'm waiting, I put on my dad's big, goofy Radio Shack headphones, and there was an 8-track cassette of Chet Atkins oh, in this. And I had it. I pulled it all in my room. I had his guitar, and I'm plunking through the eight track uh-huh, you know, tracks and in yep. listening to Chet and and remembering what my dad would tell me and, and video that I've seen of Chet up to that point was that he's like all that is one guy the bass the yeah. chords the melody all happening at once and I'm like how's that even possible so um, I uh, sat there and just pretended I was playing air guitar to this and like I felt like I was like getting it it was kind of locking in I got so into that that I ended up not trick or treating my mom took my brother out and I stayed home in my halloween right gear garb and pretended to be Chet Atkins for halloween playing air guitar and that was it and I got to tell Chet that story really yes in Portsmouth New Hampshire at the Portsmouth Music Hall with Pat Burgesson playing harmonica and guitar for him. That wow. Night. Yeah. Crazy. How did, how did he react to that story? He was uh, like a grandpa would. Yeah. It was just so precious, so awesome. And Pat Burgesson, just so crazy how this world works and how, you know, God does his stuff. Um, I love Pat. Pat, what a sweet Pat. One of the sweetest Pats I know. And. He remembers that. Really? He must have uh, some kind of advanced memory to begin with. But I wouldn't doubt that. Something's yeah. up. He's like phenomenally smart and quick. And so Pat um, <clears throat> was there when I was telling Chet that story. And Eric Johnson had opened. Um, Who? Yeah. Is he a guitar player? Yeah. I've heard of I him. had the, um, I think it was Venus Isle. Okay. Um I can't remember what it was. It was like back in the uh, record stores, they would have these like kind of like 14 by 14 squares of the artwork of the CD or whatever. They were called flats. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, you would know that. I worked at record stores. So I got one from a record store. They gave it to me, and then I had Eric sign it. Pat brought it out back for Eric to sign it, and he did. I still have it. I found it the other day. Um but Pat remembers me telling Chet that story because – so I fast-forward to uh, moving to Tennessee or, or or out on a visit to actually find a place to live from, while we were living in Pennsylvania. Uh, a friend of mine was living in Tennessee and took me out to a show at 3rd and Lindsley. It was like a Steely Dan cover band, uh, and Pat was playing in it that yeah. night. And I'm looking at him like, he looks familiar. I'm like, wait a minute. That's Pat. So – and I didn't know Pat at all, and I'm so green. And I walk up to him, and I'm like, Pat, you probably don't remember this, but Portsmouth Music Hall, I remember the year then. I don't know. Right. And I got to tell <laughs> Chet the story of, like, you know, Halloween. He's like, I remember that. I it remember was snowing that. that night. And he, like, details. It was yeah. insane. He's like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, I went out back and got Eric's autograph for you. And this is, we're talking 
got to be 10. And, and how many oh, people he has seen you know, between then and now and fans. And anyway, uh, I hadn't moved yet, but he's like, I told him we're, we're coming out. I'm signing a publishing deal and uh, we need to find a place. He's like, well, when you get here, here's my number. Call me. We got to sit down. I got to, you know, kind of mm. prep you for all the things and, and just keep an eye on you. And I mean, so we've been in touch and, and, you know, been tight since then, but just crazy how he's a pretty good picker. He can. Yeah. His core knowledge is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mel Bay, but yeah, might advance out of that Felt book pick. eventually. So speaking of moving out here, wh- why did you come to Nashville and not maybe like New York City since you were so close, way closer to there? I mean, mm. and you, you were talking about signing a publishing deal. Like, how how who was that, and how did that come about? Like all at the same time. I mean, that's a pretty amazing wad of Bro. life. There's there's. You know, I don't know how spiritual we can get on on thinking and drinking podcasts, can we? Absolutely, I have man. to because I mean, all glory. It it. Amen. I've been finding that God, when you're like God, why I can't hear you? What do you, you just tell me? What you want? What you want? What you know? What do you want me to do? What What does this mean? What is it? But to me, I've been finding God speak to me more in the rearview mirror, hmm. and as opposed to in the here and now or in the looking down the road. And so, yeah, just I can look back and see so many ways, uh, so many dodge bullets, so many reroutes and closed doors that make you ricochet off into the path you're supposed to be on, all that stuff. Yeah. But all that to say, um, I'm up in New England and uh, I grew up extremely modestly um, uh, in an area where not a lot of people graduated and went to college. They either graduated and went to work at Thompson Center Arms, which is a firearm. They were in New Hampshire at the time. Great company. Yes. I have my hunting rifle, 30 out six is from there. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, or you'd go to the shoe factory. And so I went to Thompson Center and did what my brothers did. I had one brother that went on to college, but, um, yeah, that was basically the mentality and, and just work and, and live and, and in that area, zero knowledge of the music industry. And, yeah. You know, I always thought that I would make it someday, I, that I would be randomly asked up on stage by right. somebody and be like, okay, let's see if he can do this, kiddo. And then I play guitar and they're like, wow, you should be a star. <laughs> here's a record deal. Yeah, here's a record deal. Come on back, have some uh, catering. And anyway, uh, no clue. And so. I didn't know where you yeah. would go. I mean, yes, New York was close, and we didn't really go there a lot, but um, more Boston. And I played with some bands kind of filling in here and there throughout that whole area, but it was mostly up into that – through that whole time was all instrumental, and I really got into stuff I can't use now, like jazz fusion and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, stuff that you and I will geek out on yeah. just to, you know – goof off but um <laughs> we have to set that aside when we're writing but um so doing mostly that i never really written anything with lyrics but uh so i meet my wife who's from pennsylvania uh bluebell pennsylvania and johnson and johnson is is a big thing in that area okay. um she went to college in new hampshire her brother went to college in maine uh they vacationed every year in maine uh every summer Love New England. Uh, so 
one of the summers she came back after graduating to have one last summer off before she was going to go to med school. And um, we met. And there's another whole story attached to that that I'll give you another time. But um, so fast forward, we're, you know, getting closer and, and it's just feeling like this is it. I move out. Prior to that, I had written a song, my first song with lyrics, because I was at the in this phase where, like, you know what? I uh, I can't stand listening to myself talk. It was this weird thing. I couldn't stand like hearing my voice on an answering machine or something. I was like, all right, I couldn't stand even my guitar playing because it was like I was so predictable to myself. I knew what I was going to do. I yeah. knew my whole library of chops and what I'm pulling from. I'm like, all right. I got into this phase where I'm like, I'm going to do the polar opposite of my instincts on everything musically. So I got this um, this Roland uh, XP fifty keyboard, a Roland VS-880 digital recorder. Um, so I was got these new toys, and I got all these loops and stuff going on in this thing. I'm like, okay, now now I feel like I can um, be uh, start applying this polar opposite thing. And I ended up writing this song uh, called Sow, like sowing and reaping. At that time, I thought I uh, wanted to be a Christian artist. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, no pun, <laughs> I, I, I write this song. I have this music, and music came first, and then I just wrote the lyric to it, and that was that. So then I moved to Philadelphia, or outside of Philly, close to my wife. I get a job as, as a temp in the offices of Johnson & Johnson, uh, and bounced around from temp job to temp job for almost five years. Because I didn't have a college degree, I couldn't get in permanent and set that aside. There's a reason <laughs> I said that because there's something coming later in the story you're going to really dig. I really dug. Um, so this song is sitting there and um, we're struggling. I grew up, you know, very comfortable with struggle financially. My wife didn't. Um, so that was a tricky thing for newlyweds. But my birthday rolls around and. I get a $30 check from my brother in the mail and a birthday card, my brother Raymond. Very nice. And uh, we're like, okay, cool. I'm like, well, okay, this is gas for the week and a couple groceries. That's what I'm thinking, you know, because we were really in a pickle. Yeah. And uh, she's like, no, this is what you're doing with that. We had also got this flyer from the John Lennon songwriting contest. The entry was $30. <sighs> and I'm like, well, what am I going to I have to write something. She's like, no, you already have it. It's this song. And I'm like, oh, that was okay. awesome. Okay, exactly. Um, and so we did that and long story, somewhat condensed. It ends up winning uh, the category. There were 12 categories and it ended up winning the gospel category. And then the winner, the grand prize from each, I'm sorry, the, the, yeah, the winner of each, of the categories goes on to win the grand prize. Mm-hmm. They pick one from the 12 and it ended up uh, like, um, uh, there were, I think Bon Jovi and Elton John and all these guys were like the judges to pick the one. And I ended up winning that with this terrible song, but I guess it was just creative enough and yeah, just yeah. quirky enough that it stuck out. Um, not to say that songwriting contests, uh, open any doors in the music industry, but it does 
get you thinking like, okay, this is something cool, I can do, something I can do. And, yeah. and, and, and confirmation that, okay, I'm doing something right it, it, you know, when you don't really have any, uh, idea of what's right, uh, you know, based on where I came from. So, um, then, an, okay. Can you edit out pauses or was this all natural? Yeah, just keep this going. This all natural. So, okay. We're going to pause there. Prior to marrying my wife, uh, I got in a car accident. And in the state of Pennsylvania, the other party, uh, if, it's, if it's your fault, the other party can sue you within two years. So it's Christmas time, almost exactly two years later. My wife and I are you know, talking about how the heck are we going to do this? Um, there's a lawsuit. Uh, uh, how are we going to do this? It's Christmas. Snow's falling. My parents are coming out um, for Christmas. And we had a knock on the door. Police officer with a lawsuit. Lots of money that we didn't have. And it was just really like the straw. You yeah. Know? So wife gets up, goes to the bedroom, very upset. I'm sitting there on the couch watching snow fall through the moonlight, through these little lights. We were in a converted bull barn, one room. <laughs> Apartment. I had a little studio up above our bed in this, like probably three and a half foot wide strip with shag carpet on it. Yes. Uh, but I had my stuff up there, and um, I could make demos. I'm sitting there on the couch, coffee table, pad of paper and pencil, and I hear like I was listening to the radio a song, just as clear as day. I was freaked out by it because it was like, is this something I've heard or is this something new? If it's something new, I'm writing this down. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I was getting a song like I've never had in my yeah. life. And I, I was worried, like, please let this be mine. Like, you know, I, you know, uh, it was a little tricky to research songs at that time uh, and how to discover if this was something yeah, yeah. new, whatever. So, um, end up, uh, tweaking it just a little bit and making a demo of it. Um, of me singing and I kind of, I kind of did it up. So pause there in my time as a temp at Johnson and Johnson, I'm bouncing around from job to job. Mm -hmm. One of the jobs I had, my boss was a bass guitar player in this, uh, artist band, um, out of New Jersey, uh, artist's name is, Dan Thomas, uh, it was around 9-11, um, mm. Dan was doing a, an EP, I had never been in like a real studio, and he was going into New York to do this um, EP, and was auditioning guitar players to play, and my temporary boss at the time was like, hey, well, I just hired a guy who plays guitar, I don't know how he is, but let's check him out. So I got the gig. Um, and then we drove into New York. You could still smell the, the burning metal. It was a terrible, oh, they had just let people in, um, mm. crazy time, but we did this. It was a really neat experience. So we stayed tight, me and this artist and, um, uh, and he had, you know, obviously dreams to be an artist as well. And he was, but he was also working in corporate world, uh, on the side waiting on his dream. So he would come in every once in a while from Jersey to Philly to play at like the Kyber or something. And he would stop at 
our house to see if I had recorded anything new just to hear it. Right. I could burn him a CD of it, you know. And um, one of the times he stopped by, I had just finished that demo, and I played it for him. And he sat there, and he had tears in his eyes. It's like, this is – and, and for me to see that with him, I knew he wasn't really yeah. um, spiritual at all. And the song was called uh, For All You've Done. And um, he left. My parents come Christmas. I'd never seen my dad cry ever. And, you know, we're hanging out, da-da-da. He's like, well, what have you done? You know, you get anything you play for us? I go mm-hmm. up into the loft, shag carpet, push play. They're down by the bed. And uh, when it's done, <laughs> I look down, and he's crying. So I'm like, okay, there's, there's something here yeah. for this. So then Dan calls me. He's like, okay, this could be a long shot. Dan is this artist, Dan Thomas, from New Jersey. He's like, this could be a long shot. But at the time he was engaged, he's like, my future brother-in-law was best friends in high school with a guy that works at Word Entertainment named Eric Nordhoff in the international department. He's not even like a gatekeeper or whatever, but um, someone needs to hear this song. Yeah. And so he arranged the whole thing to reconnect them. It's been 10, 12 years since they had ever talked uh, since, since uh, high school reconnects them, gets a, a, a CD to the friend who sends it to Eric Nordhoff. I'm sitting in a cubicle and Eric calls me. He's like, dude, what are you doing right now? I'm like, I'm sitting in a cubicle at Johnson Johnson. Uh, I'm entering data. Yeah. I'm building a spreadsheet. And, um, <laughs> He's like, when, when can you get out here? He's like, do you mind if I walk down the hall and hand this to Cindy Wilt, who was the... Um, so is this Nashville? This is Nashville. Okay. Yeah, so they're in Nashville, and I'm in Pennsylvania at, at Johnson & Johnson in a cubicle. And he's like, can I walk this down the hall to Cindy Wilt, the VP of publishing at Word Entertainment? And um, You said, nah. Said, yes. <laughs> so probably like an hour later, Cindy calls me, and uh, she's like, you need to get here. And uh, I, we just need to talk. So I don't know what's going on. Right. I have no clue what all this means. And long story long, uh, <laughs> I go out. I'm still thinking I, I want to be an artist. And it was almost like God went, you know what? That's not what I want for you. So yeah. I'm gonna, you're going to have some showcases, but you're not going to be able to sing that good. And, and prior to that, <laughs> I could actually pull it off. But I, anyone I went up to is almost like he scrambled my tongue or something like i just like it was Mm. such a weird experience uh but in that process (laughs) as well cindy had put me into these um uh into co-write sessions which i had never done didn't know was a thing didn't know that songwriting could be right uh, like a career and and we had just had a baby and i'm like okay so did you move down here then or were you just no we were i was still coming and she was still in philly yeah we were still in philly so i would drive out okay um and uh, stay at the Nordhoffs who didn't know me at all, and uh, and and do this thing and, and co-write, and then quickly like, okay, I would rather give this to a family than me on the road, you know, yeah. as much as I would need to be. Um, and apparently, I'm just totally bombing this artist thing in the showcases. I'm going to write. So, and who did, who did they hook you up with to write uh, at the time? Like. Jason Ingram, Matthew West, oh, okay. um, you know, guys like that. and Good, uh, good guys. Good guys, yeah. yeah. And like, and quickly, like, cause Cindy fell in love with my family and, you know, knew that I needed to 
catch up real quick. Like, yeah. I was about to get thrown into the water and I needed to learn how to swim fast. So, um, and so she was extremely honest with me. She would be like, all right, this one song's great, but can you do it again? By the end of the week, I want four more. Okay. And then she would tell me, they're all terrible, but also tell me why. Right, right, right. And give me pointers as opposed to just this terrible. And Which so, is all you ever really need. Yeah. Seriously. Some I mean, serious, you know. You can think my songs suck, but tell me why they suck. That's just right. Just not that they suck. Crave, I crave honesty, yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. She, she was that way because she wanted me to swim quick. So as things progressed, little by little, I was hearing her say these suck less. You know, because I was, because I was uh, taking good. her advice and, and, yeah. and could just, you know, and, and figure it out. But all that to say, I'm in this whole process. I had met some people and my recording of that song for all you've done, um, had uh, gotten in the hands of uh, point of grace and they wanted to record it. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? You know, cool, really, that's cool. At the same time, someone I had met along the way ended up using the song, my demo with me on it illegally on this budget worship CD sold at Walmart. I didn't know this had happened, but I found out. And thankfully, I had some people in in, uh, Nashville looking out for me. And they're like, hey, we got some people looking into this. Point of Grace right now is a little nervous. That you know, they don't think they can cut this now that it's in this uh, funky situation, um, and I'm like, "Are you serious? This is how it's all going to start, like with a potential lawsuit and yeah. all these things." And I remember getting really pissed at God, like we're we're like at this point, you know, it's it's it was a lot of struggle and a little relief here yeah. and there, but. It just felt like it was like okay, we're already down. Let's not let's not do this. So I I I threatened to break up with God. I was kind of like you know what this is cruel, this is cruel. Quickly came to my senses, sitting in the cubicle, <laughs> and I thought you know what, if this is what you have for me, this job at J and J, for the rest of my life, as long as I can put food in my family's mouth and take care of them and love them. And I'll do this forever. I will sell all my stuff. If this is what you want, I'll do it. And God knows when you're full of crap. Yeah. Like when you're you yeah. know, just, just praying the prayers you're supposed to and all this stuff. Or when you really mean it. And he knew I really meant it. I really did. So the, I, this is like four and a half years into working uh, at J&J as a temp, trying to get in full time so I can get, you know, um, benefits, benefits and yeah. all that and, and take care of my family. And uh, my boss at the time. Um, called me in. He's like, Clint, you know, uh, your job's going to go permanent and we can't give it to you. Obviously, you've been here, you've been through this enough. Um, you're going to have to train your replacement because nice. you know the job. Da, 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 da. Like, okay, all right. And so that's going on. I'm going to have to find another temp job. I'm in, in the, you know, possibly starting my career with a lawsuit suing this dude. And not that I would want to do that. And uh, and Point of Grace wanted to cut the song, and now they kind of can't. Uh, anyway, the the lawsuit thing, that guy, that hall went away. We had him, you know, stop, you know, destroy all the stuff, mm-hmm. and make a new CD without my song on it. Point of Grace ended up cutting the song, um, which was awesome, and 
I got a call from Cindy from Word in my cubicle again. Hey, um, what would it take for you to quit one of your full-time jobs? I was teaching guitar and full-time and right. J&J full-time. And I told them. And at the time, you know, in a Christian deal, you're not going to get what yeah. I said. And uh, so I'm sitting there, you know, they're like, okay, well, we're going to mull that over because we 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 want to talk about a publishing deal. I don't know what that is. Yeah. I, all I know is like, I'm in Philadelphia and I here's my bottom find, line. Yeah. And I got to, and I got to, yeah. you know, find another job here. So then my boss calls me back in. It's like, by the way, the job's yours. I Hello some, confusion. I pulled some strings. I'm telling you four and a half years of praying to get in full time. And here my boss just tells me I'm about to have a full time job. I could, Probably still be there as, yeah. we, as we speak, but um, it benefits and da 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 da. He tells me that. I go back and sit down, and I get the call from Word saying, We can do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I don't, I mean, like to me, it was like I always go back to that point in my rearview mirror of like, God needs to know you're serious. Yeah. Like, um, that you want what he wants as opposed to, you know, what you want and, and, uh, and he needs to play catch up. But anyway, all that to say, I told, you know, Cindy Wilt and Sherry Saba, who was at word. I'm like, okay, I, I send, uh, yeah, send me whatever. I ended up using Johnson and Johnson's fax machine. Uh, I feel really bad, but you know, they, so they faxed me over this stuff. Um, I'm looking at it and I, I basically went in, um, shortly after and, and told my boss that what was going on and you had to be a company man. You couldn't, um, let them know that yeah. you wanted anything but to be a J and J star employee. They had no idea I was a musician. Um, wow. Blah, blah, blah. So, uh, it was a major shock to him and he, you know, walked me out after he, he was pissed at first and then, <laughs> then just like baffled, like, what does this even mean? Right. How are you, how did we not know this? And anyway, so parades me out. I was like, you're never going to believe this to the whole like cubicle jungle. We got an artist on our hands, songwriter, apparently who's going to sign a publishing deal in Nashville and he can't take the job I just offered him. So I got to fast forward. This is the, it's kind of like, I'm uh, uh, like really when I saw this on the office, the TV show, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it, it, one watching the office was so much like my life in Pennsylvania. Cause you know, it's basically Pennsylvania um, to a T I where, um, uh, the fire guy, where he almost burns down the office, making that uh, hot pocket or whatever. Oh yeah, 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 in the microwave. So I'm training the guy now that's going to take this job because I'm now going to be Come a published songwriter. And so I'm training the dude, and he's hungry. And there was a thing of popcorn in my drawer from probably like five <laughs> years ago. It was hard as a rock. I'm like, man, you know what? I think I got some popcorn here. I'll make it for you real quick and. And then we can get back because we were really having to um, scramble scramble and get a bunch of info to him before I had to do my thing. So I run and I put it in the microwave and I come back and I'm, I'm showing him some stuff. And the popcorn 
and the butter and whatever had turned into basically a flammable brick. Right. <laughs> caught fire in the microwave and like terrible black gray burnt popcorn smell and fire billowing out of the break room into our whole cubicle area. You're and, going, see you and, later. Nashville. Yeah, that's Love right. You. On my way. It was my last day. And <laughs> just crazy how that all went down. But thankfully the sprinklers didn't go off, but it was a very comical departure from that world. Uh, and uh, Well, how yeah. long did it take for you to go from the Christian music into country secular music how long did that happen or it, how did that happen okay it was a three-year deal at, okay at, at uh, word at word and um crazy little story attached to this as well three-year deal tons of activity um in that in that world as far as cuts and singles and it was cool but I and I was also touring uh, with Nicole Nordman. Who'd you play with? Uh, Nicole Nordman. Yes, yes. Yeah, we. So the whole time I was at Word, I was also touring okay. uh, with Nicole, and it was great. And uh, we get a you know, bunch of cuts together. And um, but I was kind of ready to move on. And this was um, at the time that Flats, you know, uh, were just you know, like kind of my. Dream cut yeah. band. I oh, mean, for sure. Just, and all the Jeffrey Steele songs, the Wyndham Mobley songs, all those just were my my training. Like, yeah. like what would they do? Kind of whenever I went to a session. Um, so, to the towards the end of my time at Word, I had gotten a few flats holds and had like a you know some outside the Christian world cuts like Clay Aiken and Phil Stacy um, was an American Idol guy, and um, so I, I wanted a flats cut so bad. And B.J. Hill from Warner, at the time Warner owned Word, uh, set me oh, up in yeah. a co-write. Yeah, set me up in a co-write with Nicole Galleon, um, and uh, we wrote a song, and she ended up uh, getting it to her husband, um, it, like the work tape or whatever, from that particular session. I had just told her that after this right i have to walk over to word and have this sit down meeting of like okay we're we're uh they're going to kind of pull out all the stops to make me uh resign there and 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 i would have a hard time saying no they're going to make this great offer and but i really wanted to leave so uh i'm walking over rodney clausen her husband calls me hey uh client is rodney don't sign a thing i got you a meeting with michael martin at extreme big loud um so dodge yes and you know yeah as much as you can <laughs> anyway so i we're gonna have another meeting after that i have a gig with nicole nordeman in austin texas I get on the plane we fly to uh connect through st louis to austin we didn't have to get off the plane on the way to Austin. On the way back, I was I had gotten sick, really sick, and I it was the first time I ever threw up on a plane, kind of sick. <laughs> and so I'm just half dead sitting in the seat, my earbuds in, and I guess I was supposed to get off the plane. And I am having to go from a meeting uh, to a meeting from this flight directly from the airport to the final meeting at word. 
uh, I'm sitting there and we take off again, but I didn't really realize it. I kind of woke up and I'm like, okay, we should be in Nashville soon. And then more time goes by and too much time goes by. We should be in Nashville by now. <laughs> and I, I got one of the, the stewardesses. I'm like, um, are we going to be landing in Nashville anytime soon? I have a meeting I got to get to and I'm really kind of close now. Her mouth hits the floor. She runs to the front, runs to the back frantically. <laughs> they did a head count, but miscounted. I was supposed to get off the plane. They did a head count of like, who was, you know, I was supposed to get off the plane in St. Louis oh. to get on another plane to go to Nashville. Okay. So the plane I was on was going to Montana. Oh my gosh. So I accidentally went to Montana and Lovely it was state. at the time I could, I, I couldn't communicate with anybody. So yeah. I had to sit there on the plane for ever to get to Montana before I could actually contact word and let them know, Hey, <laughs> I am, I accidentally went to Montana. Funny thing happened on the way to the forum today. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that was, I think another just, uh, divine intervention. Um, so I ended up not resigning with Word and had the meeting with Michael Martin and Jason Hauser at Extreme Big Loud, and it was awesome. I signed there, and that is that. And in the first, the first two songs I turned in, um, one ended up being a, a single for a band called Thirty Three Miles, and the second song ended up being Flats' uh, single Here Comes Goodbye. And and here I am thinking this is easy, you know, right yeah. out of the gate. Here I go. And it, it's not, man. When you, when you get that hot iron, not that that song was a fluke, but um, it might have been a little bit of just maybe a little ahead of where I was to yeah. be able to maybe keep up with it. And so I think fate, uh, I, God stepped in again and uh, we're big, loud and extreme kind of broke up and, and that all kind of went away. There was a hot iron that really didn't get struck. And I think that's a good thing now looking back because I feel like I probably at that time wouldn't have been able to, uh, I don't know, um, produce at the level I needed to. I was still learning a tongue ton. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was just, you know, sometimes the deep end ain't the place to be. Yeah. So what do you think your strengths and weaknesses are as a writer? I mean, now that you've written all these songs and you have that to look back on. Hmm. Strengths and weaknesses. Um, maybe uh, I would say some of my strengths, maybe weaknesses as well, like in some rooms where I love to uh, really, really think about it uh, and, and make every line count and, and just make sure that before I say something and fill the room with a bunch of chatter that can be distracting and, and be, and make it hard for someone else to think. Um, I'm more of a kind of a quiet guy, mm -hmm. um, until I have something. And, um, uh, so uh, that, I guess I've always been that way. So I don't know if that's a strength or not, but, um, uh, I also see the benefit in, in, and kind of just firing out whatever and shaping it later too. That's a cool thing. Uh, uh, I mean, m melody I was gonna idea. Say, yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, melody idea, the whole, you know, just kind of thinking about new ways to, uh, 
um, structure of the song and, and, and maybe not so typical ways. And, uh, but really thinking about the idea and, and coming in with that and spending time, maybe a strength too is, uh, getting to a point where I build time into my schedule to come up with ideas. So are you a, 150 song a year guy are you a 50 song a year guy are you I mean, a 15 song a year guy i mean it i would say all um, the above it it, can, it it fluctuates on yeah. the quantity um but i i definitely um and i may i may have to um step up the quantity a little more but i i want to put the energy of 20 songs mm-hmm. in a month into three and really make sure they're great yeah. and that they stand out. And, you know, I don't, you know, when Chris Lacey is listening to 800 songs a week, literally what's going to make mine stand out, you know? Yeah. Uh, so you gotta, you really got to put that extra into it. And a lot of times the way schedules can be, you don't have time to do that and you yeah. end up just blending in. So it's a tricky balance. It takes a while to get to that place where you can um, build more time into your week or month to fill the tanks and come up with ideas that are worthy to be written, you know, and, and to that can really uh, warrant the time and the, and the energy. And, um, and if you're going to be getting into good rooms that you have good, yeah. good stuff. How'd you get into producing? Uh, since day one, uh, picking up guitar, uh, probably talk about what would be a weakness. I guess I already talked oh, about yeah. my weaknesses, but, um, uh, you care too much? Probably, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I guess other people could tell you what my weaknesses are. I, I don't. I don't know what to define them as, as, as opposed to just. Um, uh, I think maybe, sometimes when you're as good a guitar player as you are. You maybe try to force more music into a song than needs to be there. Sure, does that sure. make sense? I could, I could be uh, uh, guilty of that for sure. Yeah, um, that you know, um, but it, you know, coming from a place of just wanting more or thinking that the listener can handle more than what you know they might be fed. Yeah, uh, regularly. But yeah, that could be, it. and and yeah, that could be something that I might have to spend a half hour of the session dodging in my own mind, you know, uh, just to kind of strip that away and get to the basics. But uh, you had asked about, uh, what was that next? Producing. Producing. So day one, picking up guitar. um, My dad bought me a a 57 reissue 1987 Fender uh, Strat and a little Gorilla amp and a distortion box. And we had a family friend named Ray Gaudet, who was an incredible guitar player. Uh, and he would play with Roy Clark whenever Roy would come to New England. Dang. Crazy. Um, he's so good. And he noticed right away that I was trying to play too fast. And like I, I had quickly gotten into Ingve Molmstein. Yeah. You know, and we're both Swedish. I thought, okay, I got to be able to do this. We're both Yngwie Swedish. J. Yngwie J. Molmstein. Yes, yes. Yeah, what does the J stand for? Jelly bean? 
Johansson? Probably, but you just don't want to confuse him with all the other Ingve Malmsteins. True. Yeah. I think that's where yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, like Michael J. Fox. As exactly. Michael H. Fox, who I don't know who that is. So, <laughs> Ray Goddard comes over the house with a four-track reel-to-reel with a bunch of tapes, blank tapes, and gives it to me. And he's like, get yourself a drum machine and uh, start making stuff. I want you to – the reason I'm giving you this, I want you to record everything so that you can hear yourself outside of yourself to really determine uh, how clean you are when you're playing fast. And if it's even hmm. what you think it is. Because you're not – in your head, it's going to sound like one thing. But when you listen back, it's going to sound like another thing. Yeah. So he encouraged me from – the start to record everything. So then eventually I'm recording, you know, instrumentals that sound like the Gillette commercial, you know, like Gillette, the bang, 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 bang. you know, <laughs> actually I did do that. That's a funny little thing. My, I had recorded this. I thought it was mine. It was like a, you know, instrumental drums going crazy, play it for my brother. And that's what he does. Like, oh, yeah. he's like Gillette, the best a man can get like, Oh crap, crap. Anyway, so I've been recording from day one, splicing, bouncing, getting more than four tracks out of okay. the thing, um, and it just kind of hand in hand. What are your strengths and producers as a, or strengths and weaknesses as a producer? Strengths and weaknesses. Strengths would be um, getting, you know, uh, I think finding the right musical sentiment. To go with the song sentiment okay. and procuring uh, sounds and and uh, tracks that no one else has, because um, I make all my own sounds, all my own snare samples, kick samples, keyboard samples, whatever. Like I'm constantly tweaking. That's another thing I love to do um, uh, when I'm not writing is to just geek out and that yeah. inspires me too. A song will pop out of me just making a new synth patch or something and, uh, or a new kick sample. Um, so that would be one thing. I really just kind of getting into what the artist is going for. And if they don't know, then helping them get to that place of, of developing how they want to carry this chapter yeah. sonically in their career and then, you know, moving on to the next thing. But uh, weaknesses. Um, I don't know. Yeah. That's always, a, that's, that's, that's always the toughest thing I know. to answer. Yeah. Um, maybe a weakness would be that I end up wanting to do everything myself. Like okay. I want to play as much as possible. And it, it might come from a place of uh, – me just knowing what I want. And I want to get there at, you know, as fast as I need to get there. Sure. And if I have to show somebody else, da, da, da. but I've had experiences, you know, way more so than not. Uh, when I do delegate, it ends up being as good, if not better, Yeah. you know, especially having different vibe on the track and ends up just being a whole new That's thing. That's what I was going to say is like, even if you hire another guitar player, they're just going to play it. They're just going to see it. Different. They're yeah. going to hear it for the first time where yeah. you've heard it a thousand times already. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm getting better at that. At, yeah. Um, you know, but there's like the things that I'll do now are I'll do as much of the guitar as um, 
I want to, obviously, if the artist plays, I want them to play. I want them to play as much instrumentation as, as they are comfortable with, too, right. so that they can say that I'm playing guitar on that. I'm, I just, Absolutely. That's me over there. I'm playing the, the whatever. I made that loop out of this, you know, hitting yeah. these things, and da, 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 that's me. And that's all exciting. And because I think more than audio gets captured, I think the vibe and the fun and the party and the oh, whatever man, yeah. gets captured, too. And they're excited, and everybody's excited. Um, I think the fan can hear that, even though we didn't technically record that. But um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, but yeah, delegating and and I'll I'll program you know loops or whatever and 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 do all that. But and I love digging into tuning vocals and comping and editing. Yeah. And I love so I love the editing part too. But so that that adds time. I think the weakness would be that I end up kind of hurting myself physically because I'll pull all-nighters and because I'm just so into it. Yeah. So usually after a production, I end up getting sick, but uh, that's why I do like maybe one a year. And maybe, you know, um, focus. I obviously I focus more on songwriting and produce when it's just something great that I can't not be involved right. in. Right. But, but it's not like I'm out looking for it. But, yeah. You were talking about sampling making drum tracks, synth tracks, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you ride with track guys? I have. And, and, and like, as far as like for, for de- I do all my own demos too. So that's yeah. part of the process too. That can, uh, which sound I have, awesome. I have, thank you. I have to build that into my calendar as well, um, to have time for that. So it is nice to write with a track guy every once in a while. Cause then that's taken off your plate. At least, yeah. you know, one of the songs that week. Um, but yeah, and it's it's pretty easy for me to to let go in those sessions, and and it's great to not have to man that part of it too and write. But it's it's nothing for me to get a track going um, within a few minutes, and because yeah. that was one of the things um, in our brief stint living in Maine in this whole process was I was able to make a bunch of uh, templates in my DAW oh, cool. to. Just, you know, great starters, great place, you know, so you don't have to search for different sounds or whatever. It's all yeah. right there and just a bunch of categorized uh, feels and whatever and sounds and blah, blah, blah. And just be able to pull those up, have something rolling quick. And then, okay, we got this. Now turn around. Let's really get the song. This is the easy part. Let's get the song. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's great riding with the track down. So you have 50,000 guitars and amps and pedals. And is, is it? You find you ever find yourself with too many options to yeah. where, yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. I'm actually in a process right now of of definitely uh, because of that deleting uh, options and stuff that just sits around that turns into more of a prop than right. than uh, something being used. And I'm in a place right now where I've streamlined uh, the studio. I you know still have a bunch of outboard stuff. Yeah, um, you know. Uh, but now I'm, I would say, um, 97% in, in the box, all software. Really? My, um, microphone is, is the Steven Slate virtual microphone, um, that goes into the Steven Slate interface using the Steven Slate, um, microphone emulations. He's got the Blackbird microphone pack, all this stuff. So, you know, and Neve and, and, uh, and SSL and yeah, you know um, uh, API and all these different um, 
and Universal Audio emulations that are it. They're they're exactly sonically. You can't tell the difference, especially when when it's in the mix. And yeah, um, I've just gotten to this point now where. I don't have to recall anything hardware-wise, take pictures of where the knobs were. It's all in the box and saved as a preset, and it's saved with the session, and I can make tweaks easily. Uh, I've gotten to this place where I'm just way more streamlined and uh, have made some kind of great starter presets, whatever. But, uh, but prior to that, yeah, I had way too many options. It would take me forever to sit there and find the right snare, find yeah. the right kick. Okay, what is this synth sound, or whatever? And then I'd have fifty different things that did the same thing, or a reverb, or a delay. Yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, dude. So it is at this point now a thousand times faster than it was for me, even you know five years ago. Do you find yourself as a guitar player getting in ruts and playing patterns? Mm-hmm. How do you get out of that? Polar opposite. Don't like sing it. Um, I, I I try to do it as much as possible still. I don't get a lot of time to just play for fun as opposed to play for work. Yeah. Uh, but when I am playing for fun, um, if I don't sing something first, I end up playing the same pattern because yeah. it's muscle memory. It's kind of like, this is what I would do here. Here's what comes. Your hand just automatically goes it to automatically a certain It automatically does the thing. Yeah, exactly. So if I want something different, say I got to play a solo, I just did it on a, on a song. Um, I just wrote the song with Blessing Offer um, that he wanted like a John Mayer kind of, uh, but he wanted me to rip too. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll rip as much as possible. It might, I don't want to, you know, have this kind of come out of nowhere, like this, you know, big, obnoxious solo. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, okay, I, here's what I would instinctually do. And I put that on a track and listened back to it and wanted to vomit because it's like, I know myself so well. I hate this. This is what I would normally do. So I sat there and sang, <laughs> you know, different lines in like onto in, in a mic on a track until I was getting to a place like, okay, this is, I would never do this naturally on guitar. So now I'm going to transcribe what I sang on guitar seriously and find a cool way. Um, That's cool to, you know, put that in my hands and, 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 and embellish that a little bit, but just singing it. Cause it's like a few, it probably keeps you super melodic too. Yeah. As opposed to guitar guy. Ingve. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and it just, it ended up being something I would have never played naturally, but so that's what I end up doing more is, is singing the lines. Actually, when I was um, producing Stephen Lee Olson for Sony a while back, he actually, it was, he had a natural instinct for what guitar, what he wanted the guitar solos to sound like. Um, and he would actually sing them for me. Hmm. Uh, and they, and I, it was like 85 to 90% of what he sang is what I played because they were just so cool. Would you make him sing like in the voice of a Marshall or a Mesa Boogie? <laughs> no, but he would. Like I, <laughs> I should actually, I should make some mixes of just, instead of my guitar solo, his mouth yeah. solo. But he was really good at it. But it is, that's a thing to do, is just sing it. Because it's like, you're you're either going to sing it with your hands, you know, or you're going to sing it with your mouth, then your hands. Like yeah. that's, yeah. coming up, that was one thing that um, Ray Gaudet, the guy who gave me the four-track reel to reel, taught me. Um, he's like, I want you, he taught me the whole singing the thing first interesting where okay you have an idea of what you want um 
to play and you got your your kind of your guidelines, you got your pentatonic, you got the other little notes around that you can kind of string together and form some pattern that is a solo. But if you can get to a place where, okay, sing it, then play it. Sing what you want and transcribe that. Then do that enough, you can get to a place where you can sing it and play it at the same time. You're mm. simultaneously singing and playing at the same time, right? Kind of not that you're scatting over this, but we're doing some like George Benson um, yeah. thing. But it's it's like trying to connect the brain, heart, mouth, hand thing. And then he's like, do that for a while. Then you're going to get to a point where you can shut your mouth off and just sing it with your hands. Hmm. I haven't gotten there yet, but um, I still have to sing and transcribe uh, to get something different. But you look at some of the most melodic, singable solos. I mean, just like Toto Rosanna popped into my head right now. Oh, I mean, that whole song, I mean, that whole solo, you, you can, can absolutely sing the whole yep. thing. Yep. And it's it's right there. It's super melodic, but it's still got some skin on it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's still got some meat on the bone. Yeah. He, but... Yeah, he's got enough of, of, of kind of picking from the melodies that exist in the song. Yeah. And then putting some fire around that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, well, I know for me, I'll always get into ruts where I'm like, I hate my playing, I hate what I'm doing here, and you know, and I'm always learning. Um, I there's this my favorite guitar player in the world, just so happens to be oh, from. Dude. Thank you. <laughs> just so happens to not be Bart. <laughs> no, just kidding. Outside even... of Bart. <laughs> My other favorite guitar player is um, a man named Jim Oblon. Folks, go find Jim Oblon. O B Jim J I M, not G Y M. O B J I M. Just kidding. Get That's it? a totally it's different total. instrument. <laughs> Oblon. Oblon. O B L O N. He is my favorite guitar player in the world. He's from Connecticut. He lives in Nashville. Best guitar player. Uh, for me, just like when I first heard him, is like he's he's doing a lot of the stuff. He I have so many holes in my theory and like my playing, and I know hmm. where they are. I saw him for the first time on this video somebody randomly posted on Facebook, and I just like okay, he's doing what I know I need. I got in touch with him and I took a lesson and to never be too proud to, yeah. you know, think you have it all. Cause you always got to keep learning. And so that's another way to get out of ruts is, but you know, finding somebody that inspires you like Jim Oblon, I guarantee he'll inspire anybody that goes to listen to him. But, um, See, I talked to Pat Bergeson about lessons and he goes, all you got to do is figure out what you want to learn. And yeah. we'll go from there. And I could never, I could never figure out what I, what I really was, I not that I think I'm great. I just, I just couldn't put it into words what I wanted to learn. So yeah. how, how did you do that with Jim? Jim, it was like, well, I said almost exactly what I said to you right now is like, okay, I know where the holes are and what I want to do and what I can't do. Um, what you're doing is what I can't do right now. Okay. So I want to learn um, not only just some of these signature licks that I, I've witnessed you do that are key, but 
then I want to know why you're doing them theoretically. Um, that was the big thing for me is just like, I had all this, um, uh, technical knowledge and ability, but didn't know why I okay. was doing it. So as mu- you know, without it being a distraction, it is good to get some knowledge as to why you're playing what you're playing. See, I, I also got kind of overwhelmed and almost depressed that, um, Again, not patting myself on the back, but 99% of the time, I'm the best guitar player in the room. And I'm still writing four-chord country songs. Yeah. So my hunger to get better went away fast. Yeah. Because I just, I didn't, I had all this cool new knowledge of 13ths and 9ths, and I had no place to play them. Yeah. Except no place for, to use them. Yeah, and if your schedule's really crammed, you don't have a lot of time just to play for fun. You're playing anytime you pick up guitar, it's to work with it, as opposed to our job is to not <laughs> play all the chords we know. And Amy was yeah. like, why don't you ever play guitar when you get home? I go, do you think a carpenter hangs sheetrock <laughs> when he gets home? I go, it's a tool. Uh, I and, know. and you're right. I Isn't stopped that, playing for fun. It's a really strange revelation to get to where like all those years of punching the clock and it was fun just sitting on the front porch life revolved around a new scale a new chord a new lick now it's i pick up the guitar to work with to work and then i set it down and you know what maybe that's just how it's supposed to be yeah you know uh unless i'd still rather pick up a guitar than a hammer yeah although i love woodworking although yeah i do too you just built a guitar so you need to do that again well, let's do it together. Well, I, I'd do it. In right. fact, um, <laughs> Christmas is just around the corner. It sure is. Stuart McDonald, get all your luthier tools there. Yeah. Yeah. All the tools that you use to do that um, are available to the common man. Stu Mac. Yep, Stu Mac. Um, but yeah, dude, here we are. Well, do you want to uh, to do my lightning round? Uh, yes. Are you wearing? Will you be able uh, to edit? <laughs> oh, th- dude! Kidding. No, this I'm is joking. all. This is all okay. Lightning. I'm going to ask you a question. Just yep. fire me back an answer. Oh boy! Now, lightning round with 2020 brain, COVID brain. Here we go. <laughs> no, these are easy. Okay. What's your favorite book? The Bible. Nice. Are you a bath or a shower guy? Shower. What's the uh, last gift you gave someone? And please don't say COVID. <laughs> <laughs> last gift. Uh, might be a, uh, uh, yeah, you know what? It was a Boston uh, Red Sox uh, World Series um, little miniature baseball bat to Chris Dubois. Nice. Nice. I got in Maine. I I would, anytime I'd find like Red Sox stuff on sale uh, (laughs) when we lived in Maine, I would gather that for Chris. And I just gave that to him. Okay. This is a compound. Uh, What's the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a t-shirt? Wow. First concert was... Nope. It wasn't Bailiff Fectones. It was... uh, Good grief. No. This is this is the hardest one in the world. 
There's no right or wrong. It's just no. I, I'm just like I'm chronologically trying to figure out what came first. Hit uh, James Taylor. Nice. James Taylor. Hell are you? No T-shirt. No T-shirt. Nineteen. Uh, that his T-shirts were probably beige anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. James was on it, and no T-shirt. Do you collect? An, do you collect anything? Collect anything uh, besides instruments? Well, yeah, um, yeah. I am uh, a closet, not so closet geek, and I love nostalgic old eighties toys and uh, you know stuff that I had when I was a kid. Nice, yeah, nice. Uh, if money was no object, what guitar would you buy? Hmm. I love the guitars I have, and I'm able to get by with them. But if I, money was no object, you're able to get by with them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm able to do what I need to with the guitars I have. So if money was no object, and I was to buy a guitar, um, I guess it would be whatever blew my mind at like Groons or Carter or Chicago Music Exchange. And just was able to get it. Yeah. Like, I don't have, like, a specific one, but it would be amazing to just walk in and find, like, the one that, like, the heavens are shining down on. Yeah. And angels are singing, and you can buy it. That would be the one. I don't know what it is. Yeah. You'll know it when you see it. That's right. Um, have you guys had a, uh, a favorite TV show to binge? Stranger Things. Nice. And so strange is that uh, when it was cool and hot and new... I didn't watch it because I kind of felt like, oh, man, I don't know yeah. if I'm going to like this. I'm such an 80s nerd. I don't want to be annoyed. And But everybody was telling Clint, we know you. You're going to love this. And so we ended up starting it a little late. Uh, but then it's it great. turned during COVID, lockdown, I mean, we watched all three seasons like oh yeah, five times or more, like just constantly. Yeah. For some reason, it like – had been this really neat therapy of just kind of letting us escape into a better time, or at least, you know, better time for us. So whether it was a hit or not, what's the favorite song that you've written? Ooh. Hit or not. Uh, recorded or not recorded? or Doesn't matter. Um. Bart, this is another hard one. If uh, no, we don't have to answer it. Well, let me see here. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. Oh, you know what? That goes back. The one that moves me the most, like, feels like I didn't write it, and it just always moves me spiritually. Is a song called "You Are Good" that I wrote with Nicole Nordeman that. Um, Point of Grace ended up cutting hmm. years ago. Oh, it just sends me away. And it makes me think of the whole writing process. And all that. Yeah. yeah. So what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? Would you be at J&J? <laughs> Probably would you be, be at Johnson & Johnson in a cubicle building spreadsheets. Um, uh, either that or um, building guitars, doing something for my, you know, working for myself. I love woodworking. You build guns. 
Yeah, I, I well, when I worked at uh, Thompson Center Arm, I was an expediter, so I made sure all the stations had the proper amount of triggers and whatever, right. and, and did counts and barrel counts and all that. So I didn't physically build the guns, but I could um, if I had all the. After a while, there I could do it, but yeah, I'd do some kind of woodworking, some kind of thing like that, creative. Um, yeah. Or just whatever it took to feed the family. What are you uh, listening to these days? Hmm. Uh, I will check in sonically to what's current, you know, just to kind of make sure that I'm fresh. Yeah. And my thinking and ideas and stuff. Uh, but... Uh, lately, honestly, Jim O'Blond just put out a record that's insane. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, but anything that I'm blanking on the, there was this one song, I think it was their American Aquarium. I think that was the name of the band. Um, and I'm blanking on the title, but the melodies were awesome. Oh man. That's the name of the band, American Aquarium? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Really great melodies, great writing. Uh, Just around every corner, um, you don't kind of know what's coming lyrically, but it always hits you perfectly and melodically. It's all married perfect. They're great. So what's next for you? What's next for me? Um, Really, at this point in the world, is to... Get through another day, make sure the family's okay, and yep. striving, thriving, um, and uh, and uh, just m- managing and navigating as best as possible <laughs> what the world we're in and where we're at, and and uh, you know trying to get a song in there here and there in the middle of it all, and but yeah, when, hopefully here soon building a. Finishing out a studio. Uh, you know, normally, I have a lab, but in the middle of all this, you know, yeah. push pause on building the one I uh, am starting. Um, and uh, yeah, but I have a little spot set up in my bonus room that is I can make demos in. Yeah, but yeah. So, is there any uh, social thing you want to talk about? Where to get a hold of you, or how to look you up, or? Just my name, uh, Clint, C-L-I-N-T, Lagerberg, L-A-G-E-R-B-E-R-G. And that's my Instagram name and, and Facebook name. And that is uh, how you can see what I'm doing. Well, I love you, buddy. Thank oh, you, Bart, I love you too. very much. I appreciate your friendship. Always have. And yeah. thank you for uh, coming over here and yakking for a while, man. I'm glad to yap with you. Let's go eat some pizza. Okay, bye-bye. See you, buddy. See you, bye